So what does a dungeon master do? At the basic level, what a dungeon master does is he, uh, well, there's two elements. He usually creates a story for the, uh, the group to follow. Uh, and he is also kind of an arbiter of the rules. So, like, if someone's trying to do something in the, in the game, like he wants to attack a goblin or whatever, he uh, has to roll some dice, and the uh, if there's any, like, confusion about it, or uh, if the uh, player's trying to do something that is, you know, technically, like, illegal within the game, like it violates the rules that are set down in the in the manual, then the uh, dungeon master is the one who who decides like what's right and what's wrong within the definition of the uh, uh, the manual, basically. So you interpret the rules and mm-hmm. you're the final say. Yes, it's uh, often referred to as like you're being the god of the game or whatever, because you can change anything in the world you want. You can, you know, even like arbitrarily kill characters if you wanted to. <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, no one's going to play with you if you just like to kill characters because they irritate you. So then you are actually not just an interpreter. You The whole game is based on the dungeon master. Well, he, uh, and it depends too. Like, generally when I played, I created my own stories. But lots of players will buy, like, scenario packs where they have, like, a book that, you know, walks the the dungeon master through a story. Does it give you the outcomes and ways to go? It doesn't give you, like, the specific outcomes, but it gives you, like, options and, like, different uh, scenarios for the uh, for the players to go through. And, you know, because players aren't, like, it's not like a video game where you can just tell the players to do one thing, that's thing, one thing. Because they have, you know, freedom of choice to a certain degree. So they can, like, even decide to just uh, uh, fuck off from what you're uh, trying to get them to do. <laughs> and it depends, again, on the, the game and the group. Because sometimes, like, a, a DM would, you know, force them back into the... Uh, into the story scenario. into the storyline through various different means, sometimes subtly, sometimes directly. And, you know, it's not like a dungeon master can go like, hey, we're trying to do a scenario here. You guys just, you know, running off into the bush and fucking around isn't really part of what we're trying to accomplish. Other times, players are just dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we'll uh, just try and fuck around with what the GM or... I usually didn't actually play Dungeons and Dragons, other things, and uh, they usually say Game Master rather than Dungeon Master. Okay, so you have a wide breadth of experience being a Game Master in various games. Yes, I've uh, I've never actually technically ran a Dungeons and Dragons uh, campaign, uh, but I've run ones in different systems that are similar. Uh, like the main one I did was called Shadowrun, and uh, it is a setting uh, that's in the future. It's kind of like uh, Blade Runner. It's like in the future and people have like cybernetic augmentation. So they have like, you know, various metal bits in them. But there's also, unlike a lot of those settings, there's also magic. So you have like uh, people who can cast spells and, you know, ghosts and spirits and elementals. And you also have like elves and orcs and stuff, even though it's set in like 2065 on Earth. There's been a lot of shit that happens within like this story. And it's centered around basically like doing missions for big evil co- uh, corporations and stuff like that. It's uh, kind of like, you know, you can do it like a heist movie 
like uh, if you've seen something like Heat or Ronin, those are like action movies from the 90s that are centered on heists and, you know, missions where you're like, you know, kidnapping someone or rescuing someone or stealing corporate secrets, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of teamwork that goes into yeah. play here. Like when, when I was running those type of games, there's usually like a lot of time spent planning, you know, the the mission or the operation or whatever. So you'd get like you would uh, try and find out blueprints for the building you're breaking into or, you know, hack a computer to get access to cameras or bribe someone into letting you in, uh, assassinate someone inconvenient, you know, it'd be stuff like that. How much of the story did you make up for the players? Uh, when I was doing that, uh, I made it all up. Uh, so, like, I'd made up all the characters, the stories. Uh, I was always fairly loose with the stories because I wanted the players to be able to uh, basically just fuck around. So I, which meant I couldn't have a super rigid story. Uh, uh, so I had to be. There was a lot of improv involved in the storytelling where I'd have to. Uh, just kind of roll with whatever the players were doing. How did you uh, manage that on the fly? Uh, I don't know. I just figured it out over time. And so, so through experience. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, like I said, I haven't done it in a while because as you get older, you have kids, people get busy. It's just harder to schedule shit. Uh, but especially in my like teens and 20s, up until like my early 30s, I had like a weekly game. And... Uh, I wasn't the, the GM or DM all the time, but I was probably the one who did it, I don't know, 60, 70% of the time. What made it so you were the guy to do it 70% of the time? I don't know. Uh, people seemed to like it when I did it. If I'm like trying to think, like pumping myself up, I think I was good at creating interesting scenarios, rolling with things, and uh, also being like relatively nice because I didn't, I didn't try and fuck around with the characters too much. I wasn't too, I didn't get too upset if someone like, uh, you know, didn't do what I wanted them to do within the game. Uh, again, because I think I had a more loose story situation. Uh, I know some uh, players really like very defined stories in their, uh, in their role-playing experience. And I was never really great at that. I did create some like bigger scenarios or, or more specific stories, but I'd still try and let the characters worm their way through which sometimes meant like i'd have a plan about like oh there's gonna be this plot point that occurs they're gonna meet this person and uh, they're gonna learn this thing but then the characters uh just didn't follow the path i wanted them to and you know you can try and direct them over that direction but you don't want to do it too arbitrarily uh so i'd end up with uh having to like change plot points on the fly or like, oh, they were going to go to this bar and meet this person, and I, you know, directed them that way, like giving them the information to know to go to that place. But instead, they like find out where he lives and goes there and terrorizes him. Uh, a lot of the time, the characters were kind of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a dystopian future. Yeah, they're already working for a corrupt corporation. Mm -hmm. They're taking the mission, so the morality's a little loose on it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Although the world's fairly big, like you could. Uh, the, the pretty much the way the game was sold primarily was so you doing missions, you in a morally gray society and stuff like that, but it's a big enough world with like enough uh, information and settings that you could do like you could be 
do like a seven samurai scenario where you're like going to a small town and you know rescuing it from uh bad people like an evil corporation coming into like harvest a local resource you could like defend the people from the mercenaries that the evil corporation are sending or something like that so you can really be the hero or the villain in this story yeah or you know be a complicated anti-hero of some kind or whatever how do you put those plot points into the story well um normally i would like if i was going to run a full campaign i would uh if i was like really putting my heart into it i would uh think of like i want uh uh, like this is the end goal they have like this enemy that they have to meet you know like a final boss sort of thing or like a thing they need to accomplish at the you know the end of this scenario or a campaign that's usually what we call like a big a big thing where we're like moving through um and then i said like, okay i want them to go to this town and meet this dude and uh, i'll direct them in that way i'll give them like a mission that they have to go do here and they'll find some information in a computer or something like that uh, although probably the stories that I find most uh, uh, that I found most interesting are the ones I found most memorable. There was two ones I did. I did one that took place in Tehran in Iran, which you know, in hindsight, fifteen years on, I was probably being somewhat culturally insensitive about it. But uh, and the mission there was there was like a diplomat's daughter who got lost in Tehran, and in this setting, Tehran is. Uh, was destroyed at some point and there's just like a lot of people living scattered in the ruins or whatever uh so we were there they were like a team that was hired to go and rescue this girl and they went in and they ended up having to fight like like evil spirits and uh you know local gangs and stuff like that i did eventually direct them all the way to this conclusion and it helps when there's like like a big uh goal that they can move towards because even if they like skew way off of the uh the, the story uh i can direct them back because like you're not here to go like you know fuck around in this bazaar over there you're here to like finish this mission and get your paycheck or whatever or survive since you're here so you really convey to them the commander's intent yeah yeah especially like like i said when you give them like a specific grand mission to accomplish like they'll find different ways of doing it which is always kind of fun and exciting for me because like it's like, oh, I never thought about doing this mission that way. I'll adjust based on what you're trying to accomplish. And like I said, a lot of it is a matter of just doing it on the fly. And uh, how often would you get surprised? Uh, not as often as you might think, uh, especially like once I'd been doing it a while. And I'd been doing it a while with basically the same players. So like I knew what they liked and I knew, you know, the sorts of things that they like to do. Uh, so I could usually kind of predict what was going to happen to one degree or another. But I was never always right on, and uh, sometimes players would just be unpredictable for the fun of it. <laughs> There's a certain amount of, like, fucking with each other, but, like, in a good-natured way, usually. So how would somebody mess you around? A lot of it would just be doing an action that I would never think of them doing often kind of terrible um there's if there was like an important like uh character that i wanted the uh, players to interact with or they had to like interrogate someone or capture someone and instead of like you know doing the thing that i want them to like oh they're gonna go into this bar and talk to this you know 
a dude who like has information and maybe is like a gang boss or something. But one of them finds him unpleasant and then just kills him before they get any of the information. So I have to figure out a way of getting the information to them. Uh, yeah, preferably in an organic and interesting way, rather than it just being like in his pocket. <laughs> uh, but you know, if it if that screwed up what I was trying to do too much, then I might just there's a USB drive in his pocket with all the information you need because I can't figure out a way of getting you that information easily enough. But you really try to make it organic. Yeah, I try and make it. I, I think a good a big part of like being a dungeon master. Uh, and this is certainly isn't something that's just unique to me is uh, uh, being able to look like this is all part of a plan uh, and make it seem as though like you were planning this to happen all along to a certain degree. Uh, so if you do it right, it'll appear to them that you designed this whole thing. Yeah, it's one degree or another. It can't all be like uh, decided upon like you know, when you play a scenario pack where, like, the story is mapped out and the setting is mapped out, um, you can't rely on your players to just follow the directions of the scenario because they might, like I said, just fuck around. And that, again, depends on the players because I know, like, the players I usually played with really enjoy just, like, playing around in the sandbox and having, like, someone who can... Uh, try and create interesting stories out of that sandbox whereas other players like something that's a little bit more defined even if it doesn't have as much freedom to play around so what are the common patterns you saw in the players that you were game mastering for oh common patterns um uh, especially like we were all like in our 20s and kind of dumb dudes there was like a lot of just uh going straight to some kind of horrible violence <laughs> <laughs> Um, because we wanted to like play our favorite action movies or whatever. So like there's a lot of gunplay or like if we were playing a setting that wasn't, you know, about shooting people, you know, uh, sword fights and magic and all that kind of shit, it would just kind of go straight to the violent option. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it go to that option? Uh, well, like one thing that, uh, my group would call, uh, uh, lobby scening lobby scening it we turned the in the matrix there's uh the lobby scene where uh neo and trinity trinity just go into the front door of this building and just fucking kill everybody where like if i set out a mis mission and like there's all these like sneaky ways of accomplishing this or like you could like bluff your way in or whatever they just say fuck it and kick in the front door and start killing everyone <laughs> <laughs> which sometimes worked but like sometimes i set the, the 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 uh the situation up such that doing that would mean you'd almost certainly just get killed okay so there's no <laughs> finesse to it yeah and sometimes it works and sometimes i thought it was fun when they did that so i let it happen even if i set it up to uh to be too hard to just kick in the door but like sometimes i just like letting them have their fun okay so how would it sometimes not work uh, well, sometimes it wouldn't work in the sense that, like, if they kicked in the door and there's just, like, you know, 20 dudes in heavy armor and big guns and they are just not ready to deal with this much firepower and they just all die or a bunch of them die. And that happens sometimes. Uh, uh, you, I have on a couple of occasions in a, in a confrontation in the game accidentally 
I usually haven't done it on purpose, but accidentally killed all of them because they just got themselves in a situation that... Um, they got it over their heads. Yeah, they got it over their heads, and I often wasn't very nice about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens if they all die? Uh, if, like, the whole party dies, like, um, I could, like, come up with options... Uh, Sometimes we would just, everyone would create new characters and we'd uh, start a different scenario. It'd just be like, that's the end of the campaign, everybody's dead. Um, other times, I have some dim recollection of, like, offering, like, you know, you guys were all killed, but, like, we could, like, massage that a little bit until you were all captured. Like, you didn't all technically die, you were, like, you know, picked up by the dudes who all just killed you, you're captured, you're in prison, and we can, like, play with something from there. Uh, but often it would just mean, oh, everyone's dead, and we're going to make some new characters, have some fun that way. And most of the players weren't especially uh, precious about their characters. Really? So this is these are just disposable? To a certain extent, and it depends on how long they've been playing. If they got killed off immediately, especially like once they built the character, which happened every now and again, usually, especially as I got more experienced, I'd just massage the numbers so I didn't kill them. Uh, especially if it was just random chance where, like, it was an early in a game, uh, an opponent got a really good roll. Like, I got a really good roll for, like, someone trying to kill one of them. And I knew, like, oh, if this happens, I'm going to kill this character in the first or second session. And that's not fun. So I would massage the numbers so I didn't do that. Wait a minute. So you're rolling? Yeah, I rolled the dice as well as they roll the dice. So these dice determine... It determine the outcomes. Like, if you want to, like, pull your gun and shoot someone, you have to roll to shoot that person. Like, you know, because if you roll badly, you'll miss. Or if you roll badly enough, you know, like, drop the clip out of the gun by accident or something like that. And the characters that I'm playing, because I, like, play every other char character in the world other than them. Like, uh, so, like, if... Uh, a bad guy wants to shoot my the players. He also has to like you know roll to do all of that stuff. But uh, because I'm trying to tell the story, sometimes I'll massage the rolls. Like uh, generally, a GM or DM will roll behind a screen so that the players don't actually see the results. Uh, so then they just take your word of what you rolled. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's a certain amount of trust there. And like I said, generally I would like. If I'm rolling and it's like, oh, this result will kill one of these characters and I don't want that to happen, I'll just change the result. Uh, because, like I said, it's not necessarily fun to do that. And I know earlier in my, like, GMing career, I was, like, very hard about it. Like, I'm not going to change these roles. If a character dies, they die. You were black and white. <laughs> yeah, I was very on. black and white. And the, the players still enjoyed it because, again, a lot of the players weren't super precious about their characters which varies from different players to different players. A lot of the people in my group really enjoyed making characters. They really enjoyed the process of making characters, because uh, especially since several of them were kind of math nerds, <laughs> and uh, so they liked like coming up with like the best uh, mixture of different things, like different things to make like the best character they possibly could. And it was called min-maxing. Is oh, the, really? the term for that, yeah. So are they bolstering these certain attributes yeah like they would decide like i want this character to be a hacker so they would uh, uh get all of the various different like like you'd get cybernetic things that make you a better hacker get better you can pick different stats that'll make you a better hacker there's always trade-offs 
like if you're like a super good hacker, you're probably not going to be very good at fighting or <laughs> very good at shooting or whatever. Because if you hyper focus in one thing, there'll be a bunch of other things you can't do very well. What makes this so you can't do it very well? Well, uh, when you're making a character, at least in Shadowrun and a lot of other systems, uh, you're given like a set of points. Like you have 150 points or something like that. I can't remember the exact point numbers, but if you want your strength to be a certain amount, you would use a certain amount of points for that. If you want your intelligence to be a certain amount, you'd use a certain amount of points for that. And if you wanted to have, you know, super hacking skills, you would use a bunch of points for that. And uh, you'd go through these points. And so there's this uh, scarcity of points that forces you to make decisions about what your character can do. Oh, so there's a finite pool yeah. of, of points for the attributes. Yes. So, so how do you get more points? Uh, well, you start the game, and as you play through, you get you know experience from what you're doing, and you can increase your skills and your attributes over time. Okay, but you decide how they start the game. You can decide it yourself. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the attributes that you can... Well, it depends from like game system to game system. I keep coming back to Shadowrun. Let's talk about Shadowrun. This is the one I did did the most. Where you have like intelligence, strength, charisma, dexterity, and uh, you'd um, want to increase these things depending on what you want to do. Like if you want to increase your strength, that means you can like punch harder, carry more. And if you wanted like a greater intelligence, you're more likely to be a good hacker or a good wizard or sorcerer or whatever. Uh, and if you have a higher uh, dexterity, you're going to be a better fighter in some ways because you'll be more lithe. You won't be able to hit as hard, but you'll be more lithe. You can you know, move easier, and you'll be better with like a sword or something like that because you can use it a little bit more easily. Oh, yeah, more, more coordination. More coordination, yeah. Dexterity is uh, usually like boils down to like uh, how fast you can run, how easily you can dodge things. Oh, man. So then how did you come to the point where you decided, hey, I'm going to be more flexible? Um, I think when I first started doing it, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I would kind of like, because I was just kind of fumbling through, I just kind of forced myself to have to be more flexible because I didn't, again, really know what I was doing. Because even from the start, like, I don't know if I've ever, uh, you know, gotten like a pre-made scenario, like went to the store, bought a scenario and worked my way through it. I don't think I've ever actually done that. I've always like followed like my own thing, which has its ups and downs. It's not very, fo when I do it, when I've done it, it's not very focused. And sometimes I'll, I accidentally lead people down uh, a way that is hard to get back, uh, back away from because uh, I don't have a solid plan. So like, oh, I'm telling this story and we're moving along these plot points, and the, either the characters you know, follow something different than I was expecting, and I have to adjust, or I accidentally send them down a pathway that isn't part of the story I wanted because I thought it would be interesting or funny. So it might improve the game, but it might kind of wreck your scenario that you had in your head. Yeah, and uh, sometimes that can even be unsatisfying for the players because, like, oh, we missed the story. I could usually recover from it and... Uh, pull them back to the story, or just, like, make what they were doing fun. And, uh, again, it depends on uh, what kind of players you have. My players usually liked making plans, executing the plans, and, you know, doing fun things with guns and magic. And, but there are other players who really like, uh, really like following an interesting story, and it's more about, like, interactions with, uh, you know, characters in the world. Like, it, it becomes almost like 
you know, uh, a theater production or doing like improv, like people will, will like very much try and like inhabit the character they're wanting to play. So and, you'll actually take on this role and embody it. Yeah. And, and it varies again from players to players. Uh, and as a GM, I like functionally have to play all the various different kind of characters that are in there. So uh, I would like sometimes try and do like different voices. And sometimes the players would also try and do their own like voices and stuff. But again, my players weren't as focused on the, uh, the theater kid element of it. They were usually more focused on numbers and doing cool shit. <laughs> so which, they could actually live out maybe something they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, I think, the big attraction of RPGs in general is you get to live out, you know, a fantasy of one kind or another. And without I know, real world consequence. Without any real world. Like, uh, like if you, you can't, like, if you got a job to go rob a bank and ended up killing a lot of people, you can't really do that in the real world. Or if you do, you're a horrible person. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work out with the, the restarting of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're a monster if you do these things. But, you know, in a game setting, uh, it can just be kind of a fun lark, especially in the, like, if we're thinking about just coming back to movies. Like, if you watch any number of movies where there are people robbing things, or you can watch, like, anti-heroes, you know, kill a bunch of people. Like, John Wick is a yeah. movie... Uh, great set of movies. Haven't seen the fourth one yet. It, it's Wait, a, what made it so you didn't see the fourth one yet? No particular reason. I just haven't gone around to it yet. All right. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but like John Wick is basically an anti-hero because uh, he kills a lot of people. A lot of people. And that's not really a thing that heroes do necessarily. The heroes will kill people within various different stories, but he, he is an aggressive ruthless killer of people and it's like if you know a player wants to be that kind of character they can that seems out of balance then yeah well if you want to have someone who can if you have a a player or like even just like a group of players who are mon are monsters to one degree or another or or just like killing machines you have to be able to put things in front of them uh that will keep that interesting so what are some things you do to keep it interesting? Well, like if they can just like wade through, uh, you know, grunts, minions, you know, whatever. Untrained men. Yeah, just dudes. Uh, like you see in like the John Wick movies, he'll just like a lot of most of the people he just, you know, moves through, kills them, whatever. But there also like again in the John Wick movies, there'll be like basically bosses in the language of video games where they're harder. Like I remember in the first John Wick movie in the nightclub, there's like he just wades through most of the guys, but there's this one dude that he's fighting where it's an actual challenge and he actually throws him off that balcony into the middle of the dance floor. So like he gets fucked up by this guy. So like uh, a way of making it uh, more interesting for the players is to like, you'll have like people they can easily defeat, build their confidence, they're having fun. But then they will hit a challenge while they'll come against uh, a non-player character, an NPC, that can rival them to one degree or another. How would you make that organic? Um, uh, usually you would be like, if I'm thinking about it, like if they were going to like raid a military base or something, they'll be just like uh, raid a military base to like maybe kidnap someone or uh, get some secrets or something. There would be like outside guards that they would be relatively easy to get through either by sneaking past them or killing them or whatever and then as they got deeper into the base there would be um 
opponents that were, you know, more elite and better at their job and like that kind of stuff. So it just gets harder and harder and harder until uh, they, you know, accomplish the mission. And that makes it more satisfying because if they can just wade through everybody, it's not very interesting. Yeah, it you gets make boring. Them struggle a bit. Yeah, it gets boring over time if you just make it too easy. Although every now and again you get a, a player who uh, just wants everything to be easy. They don't want to have any challenge or lose. God forbid they lose, but that's kind of like a personality trait that some people have that they're unwilling to accept any kind of uh, struggle or failure. How do you <laughs> handle that in the scenarios? Uh, it Like the core of my player group usually wasn't like that. They were willing to accept, especially like general like challenge. Like, uh, but... Uh, a lot of time when people were just pissy about like any kind of challenge, eventually they would just leave because I would make things, I would just be making things hard for them. Uh, but like in a normal way, I wasn't necessarily trying to force them out. I do have a dim memory of when I was in my twenties, a player was getting on my nerves because they uh, had been uh, basically bitching the whole way through. And uh, they were also, uh, also, I was pretty sure they were cheating. <laughs> they were like lying about their dice rolls. Uh, so I, uh, I kept pun I kept hitting them with like various attacks and stuff, and I focused attacks on them to a certain degree until I killed them. Because <laughs> I was just frustrated with him, and that's not the most mature way of dealing with that. I should have talked to him about it. But you know, in that uh, moment, I was like, I'm pissed at this guy. He's just fucking around. I'm gonna kill the character and make a point. So emotions can actually run high in this oh, yeah. game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the players can argue with each other. Uh, it's like any interpersonal group. And, you know, uh, they can get really, uh, can get kind of intense. That's another thing that a GM, DM, or whatever has to do is also be a certain amount of moderator in interpersonal conflicts between the different players to a certain degree. How much of that would you have to do? Well, it wasn't super common. Uh, or I guess like when you're dealing with any friend group that you've been together for a long time, you can like see, Oh, that person's getting kind of annoyed. Uh, let's see if I can cut that off at the pass uh, one way or another. Or like, I can see that dude two is getting angry at dude three. There were not any girls in this group, not for any good reason other than we were just a bunch of dudes in our twenties. Uh, but I can see these two people getting, uh, you know, annoyed with each other, which isn't surprising because people would have different degrees of, uh, friction between them so i would like you know try and i would either like directly intervene in the sense of like hey guys let's uh let's stop doing this fighting stuff or whatever or i'd just try and like change the topic or get push the mission to go forward because sometimes if they were arguing about like something that just fucking didn't matter for the game i'd say like that doesn't matter let's move on to the next thing like i might even be like sometimes i would just let them try and like make a plan uh that's uh, didn't necessarily be a good idea and I'd let them do that but other times like especially if they're like going in directions like if you do that you're all going to die or if you do that it won't accomplish anything okay uh, so you'll reason resolve with them or divert them yeah I'll divert them into something else uh, it's actually a, uh, a parenting technique that I've learned about recently where you rather than like you know yelling at your kid to get it to kid to get them to do something uh, or to stop doing something you can redirect them into doing something else Ooh, so how much of this GM stuff have you applied to raising kids? Uh, no, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, some of it. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you got the divert thing. What other things are you doing? Well, I, again, like most of this I did in my 20s. I'm 41 now. I wasn't super mature. I did have a kid when I was in my 20s, but... Um... Ooh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so you diverted the kids sometimes, and then you had a kid in your 20s. And yeah. Some, some other things that you would do from the GM experience. Like when I'm like trying to herd children to one degree or another is also kind of like trying to herd players to one degree or another, which is a little condescending. But it, it's like you're managing uh, the interpersonal relationships as well as trying to manage a story at the same time, which isn't unrelated to you know being a parent to one degree or another, especially if you start having more kids in the mix. Like I have two kids. Uh, there's six years between them, so they don't have a huge amount of competition between them. But you know, trying to get them to do something to one degree or another, like, especially when they're little, uh, can be about like redirecting them into things or there's some flexibility that's involved. Yeah. Like, and, and like with parenting, you do have to like roll with things an awful lot. So you got a lot of practice as a GM to roll with things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a big part of being a GM, especially, uh, with players like I had where they just kind of liked fucking around. So, like, rolling with things was an important part of that. And I think rolling with things is a pretty good life skill in general. Because, you know, random shit's going to happen. Bad shit, good shit, it's all going to happen. And just learning to just move with it is an important life skill, I think. And I... You got a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah, I did. How do you think that's helped you along the way? Uh, I think it's allowed me to... um, just uh, be able to adapt to different situations as I've, as I've gone through life. And it's useful, you know, in the context of being a, a GM, DM, I keep using both interchangeably. Uh, in the context of, doing, context of doing that, it's very low state. Because if I roll with what my characters or my players are trying to do badly, we have a bad gaming session. If I roll with something badly in, you know, my personal life, like, you know, like a, an interpersonal con- uh, uh, conflict between me and like a coworker or even my children or a significant other, the consequences of that are a lot more than like if I irritate my players for three hours. Yeah. So you have to <laughs> learn when to turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. What are some of the main attributes a lot of your players would bolster? Uh, well, it again, depends on the type of player, the type of character they want to play. Uh, a lot of the players had like more standard ideas. Like I know one of the players would almost always do like a big brutish guy. They would be strong. They would be violent. They would be, you know, really good at combat in one way or another. Or you'd have uh, players that really liked being uh, the skinny mage who stands in the back and fire spells at people. Or you'd have someone who loves being a hacker or loves being the the guy in charge of the cars or whatever. Like you'd, be like the Fast and Furious guy or whatever. So there's all these little archetypes that are trying to interact together as a team. Yeah, and it's almost always based off of movies or books to one degree or another. Okay, so they're seeing the stories and now they get to kind of live that story. Yeah, yeah, it's a big part of like, I want to live the movie. Like uh, when we're talking about D&D, it's like, I want to do Lord of the Rings or I want to do Game of Thrones or something like that. And if we're talking about something like Shadowrun, it'd be like, I want to do The Matrix or I want to do... Uh, heat. How long would these sessions last or these campaigns? Well, the campaigns could last months. I think the longest one I ever ran was around a year. And I've heard of people running ones that last years and years and years. Hold on. 
a year of real time? Uh, yeah, like not literally sitting and doing it for a year, but like every week we would get together and we'd be doing that for a year. How do you plan that much? Uh, I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially like the really long ones that I've done didn't have like a big defined story. Usually it would be like, Oh, you're a team of operatives, you know, doing missions for governments, corporations, whatever. And it would just be like from mission to mission almost, or there'd be like a little like mini campaign in the sense that like, you're going to do this set of like three or four missions for this group. So there would be like some characters and stuff that goes along with that. It's more episodic. It's almost more like television. That's how you played your whole campaign. You you split it up to those little chunks. That's probably the most common way I did it. Like I said before, I did do some with defined stories. But a lot of the time, it was just fun to do these little mini things. And they got to play the same characters through all of it. And I would usually bring back like non-player characters that they dealt with in the past. Uh, especially ones that they thought were funny or interesting. Oh, so you'd do a callback. Yeah, I'd do callbacks. Or like they would have uh, one uh, in Shadowrun, they have something called a fixer, which is also would be called something like a fence where they you can sell stuff to them. They can get you missions and stuff like that. So they would have like the same dude who always gave them missions or they'd have the same like four or five people who brought missions to them in one way or another. So they had a little consistency and comfort. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like I said, watching a long-running television show. That sounds super fun. What's your favorite scenario to run? I, I always, I've always liked, I got really into like setting up, like giving them like, you have to go, like I said, like rob a bank or steal this thing or assassinate someone. I like giving them those like missions and planning out those missions. And like, especially trying to do it in ways that would allow them to do it in a bunch of different options. It's not like the video game Hitman where uh, there's like this person at the center of this house that you have to kill or you know, whatever. Uh, so uh, there's a bunch of different ways you could do this. You could just kick in the door and kill everyone. Uh, you could sneak through the various different defenses, get over the fence, go through the security system, whatever, and like sneak into their room and finish it that way or you can like sneak through the sewers and come up through the sewers or stuff like that and i thought it was a lot of fun building these you know missions and watching the players you know try and plan it sometimes they would plan it in a way that was very predictable to me uh sometimes i'd even like give them suggestions on different options uh usually like through a character in the world like if a fixer gives them a mission, they would give them like, oh, I have this extra information. Like there's a contact here that I can give you that has the plans to the, the house or a contact here I can give you that uh, knows their way in and out of the security system. For a price though? Usually for a price. Sometimes it was just kind of part of the mission pack or whatever. So uh, how do you decide what's part of the mission pack and what's relevant? Basically, I would usually like think about the goal I want them to accomplish and I would usually pull it heavily from movies and television books. Uh, lead lifting stuff that I just thought was cool um, and like pretty like stereotypical within those things because we were always dealing with stereotypes and archetypes we weren't usually doing very complex characters or coming up with our own like very complex stories uh, because like especially if you're trying to be improvisational and roll with things you have to like have these almost pre-programmed things to do Oh, so you have these canned responses? It, to a certain extent, yeah. Where like, um, oh, if they want to like go do a high-speed chase, I have like a set of like cars I can pull up to do that. And 
or like I know where to look up some information to accomplish that that for them. And like, uh, you know, you if you're doing a high speed car chase, you would like you know get into the tropes of weaving in and out of traffic. You know, uh, so there's a lot of research that goes into your job as a GM. It can, yeah, it's something you develop over time as a skill set. Uh, like I, I did it consistently for like over a decade. So I like figured out a lot of it just by trial and error. And, you know, thankfully, like I was with the same players. So we all like knew each other. So like they would give me a certain amount of like uh, grace while I figured out what I was doing, especially if they knew that they just threw me a curveball. They would definitely like be okay with me stumbling around a little bit and trying to like or try to figure it out and see what you need Mm -hmm. and do the research yeah although it was the best feeling as a as a game master to have them throw me a curveball and just move with it without them realizing that i had no idea what i was doing like uh i would often tell them later but (laughs) (laughs) but that was like the most fun is when i i could like just move with it as it happened so you saw it, you handled it, nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah. Or if they did, it was like I they realized I did it very smoothly. <laughs> oh, so is that one of the high, highlights of being a GM? Yeah, that's part of it. Also, I just kind of like um, telling stories, even if they're like little ones uh, about like a mission, like I was saying. If it's just like I'm taking them on a little adventure and I get to like play characters and I get to like try and develop little plot points to, even within that very narrow small situation yeah with all these plans that the players are making what's some unexpected plan that they came up with that actually worked out uh a couple of times they did the front door thing when i thought it wouldn't work and it did (laughs) (laughs) so how would it not have worked or what what made it so you didn't think it would work well it's just usually like if you're setting, like, if we're just going to take, like, the Matrix situation where they're going to rescue Morpheus, you would set it up as, like, oh, like, the front door is guarded by, like, 20 dudes, and there's, like, fixed machine guns and stuff. Like, you, they'll just fucking shred you when you go through the door. So, obviously, there's these other options you should go through, like, sneaking up the side of the building or doing a helicopter onto the roof or any number of other things. Usually, they might be a little bit more complicated from a planning perspective, but uh, they ha- have, on a couple of occasions, just ran in through the front door. Uh, they usually get kind of mauled <laughs> when this actually works. And Wait, some... so how would they get through if you didn't think it was possible? Well, uh, it's just a matter of like dice rolls. And sometimes they like come up with strategies and tactics that I didn't think of that, you know, you either like legitimately are great or I just thought it was cool. So I let them do it. <laughs> What's a great tactic that they did? Well, if they came or come up with like, oh, I want to like ricochet a grenade off that, you know, uh, mirror over there bounce it around behind them and like blow up this thing behind them that will kill a bunch of them and like i didn't really think of that that sounds kind of cool roll some dice and let's see if we can do it and they roll it works out and it's uh, it's all fun for everybody even if it doesn't follow what i specifically thought they were going to do have you always been that flexible with the storyline usually uh i'm sure sometimes i was an inflexible dick uh because you know I was learning and also like it was 20 years ago in some cases, like I was a kind of a different person. Like, I don't know, like I haven't run a game for any like sustained period of time for years now. I've run like little ones for my kids where it's just like a few missions basically. Uh, Or like I tried running one right before COVID uh, with some friends, but then COVID 
uh, and we just didn't do it anymore. Uh, so like I said, it's been a while. Sounds uh, like you miss it. I do. I do. I think that's a pretty common thing for like nerds of my age to be like, we really miss doing this sort of thing. Like our mutual friend, Jeff is always saying like, Oh, we should do, do a, do a new campaign of some kind. I will find some friends and we'll do it. And like, I want to do that with him. It'd be great fun. But like we both have lives. Uh, I have two kids. Jeff has two kids. Like a lot of the people I used to play with, uh, they all have kids and lives. Several of them have moved away. So it's not really a thing that you can do easily anymore with the same group of people. And yeah, it's tough to carve out that time. Yeah. Or consistently carve out that time. Yeah, because when I was like in my early 20s, uh, especially when I was in my early 20s, and like all of the players were around my age, uh, it was easy to just, just say like every Saturday night we're going to do this. One, because we're a bunch of lonely nerds. So Saturday night doesn't mean the same thing as it does to other people. So uh, we're going to get together every Saturday night. And almost every Saturday night we did. Every now and again, you know, people couldn't show up or, you know, holidays or whatever. How big are these groups? Our group was consistently, including me, five or six people. That doesn't sound that lonely. Six, six people getting together every Saturday? Well, I'm being kind of self-deprecating because none of us were like, go to the bar people or club people or go to parties people. I, th I think all of us did some of that to one degree or another, but Saturday night wasn't like, I'm going to the bar. Saturday night was, I'm playing D&D &D with my friends. What sounds more fun? <laughs> to me, most of the time, playing D&D &D with my friends. Totally. <laughs> yeah. You get to enjoy company with the people you want to hang out with. You're not mm -hmm. spending a bunch of money. Yeah, it's it's a way... Well, honestly, you spend a lot of money on like... Uh, rule books and different kind of books for games, but not nearly as much as you do drinking. Like you go to the bar and spend 60 bucks and 60 bucks is like what you'd pay for like a D and D book. And how long would that D and D book last? Well, forever. I still have ones that I bought when I was in my, uh, when I was like 15. Okay. So these <laughs> yeah. book, that was that the scenario book or what kind of book is it? Well, there's uh, most role-playing games have, you know, a uh, main manual and this manual will teach you how to make a character the basic rules like dnd &D splits splits like the main rules into three different books i think there's the player's handbook which is basic rules and uh how to build a character and that kind of stuff and then there's a game master's book which will or dungeon master's book which will teach uh, dungeon master more advanced rules give them characters that they can use in their games uh, scenario basic scenarios sometimes and then there's for D and I think the next one is the monsters manual and that has like all of the various different monsters that you can face in the dungeons and dragons world so you get a lot of mileage out of these books yeah yeah and uh, like for Shadowrun there was one big main book that everyone could just use like I used it as like the main source but there's also like a lot of other books that give you more rules, more equipment, and with something like Shadowrun where it's like a setting. So it's like the Star Wars universe, the Shadowrun universe. So like you'd get a book that's telling you all about like uh, the city of Seattle in 2055 or 2065 or whatever. How in-depth would it go? Uh, relatively, it would give you like areas, you know, who's in charge, the major corporations, gangs, uh, major events that are going on. And you can all use that stuff to... Uh, plan scenarios and set up missions and so everyone has a common frame of reference okay and you don't really deviate from that to a certain degree and again that uh, varies depending on the gm or the type of players you're dealing with because uh, sometimes 
you want to accomplish something, but it doesn't necessarily fit within the defined setting. So you just fucking do it anyways. <laughs> and like sometimes we would do things that were in like weird niche parts of the world. Like one time we ran one because it's like the real world in the sense that all the locations are the same. We ran one that was in Saskatoon. Ah! Just because one, we all obviously knew Saskatoon because we all grew up here to one degree or another. So you knew the city. Yeah. And, but you had to actually add in some fantasy elements. Yeah, because it's one, it's in the future. So it's uh, 2050 or 2060 or whatever it was. Uh, so you got that element plus all of the things that happened in the world between now and then, plus the fact that it's all magic and cybernetics and shit. So <laughs> yeah, uh, like I had to like adjust the world and create our own environment for it. How uh, close, to, since this was 20 years ago, how close was your future ideal to how know, we are now? Oh, nothing like it. It's all, like, the Shadowrun universe is all crazy nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's, like, a magic apocalypse and uh, uh, pandemics and... Whoa, whoa we just had one. <laughs> uh, way worse. It killed, like, 50% of people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other things. It's not post-apocalyptic, but it is dystopian. Okay. Yeah. The scenarios in there, they're kind of reality, but amplified. Yeah. Yeah. And then heavily based off of, again, movies and books. Like, Shadowrun is heavily based off of Neuromancer, like the cyberpunk original book. Cyberpunk is like future setting with cybernetics and horrible corporations and absent governments and that kind of stuff which does have a certain amount of commentary on our current world to one degree or another. But it's just human nature. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then when you're doing your scenarios and everything, how much of the real world do you put into it? Well, uh, when I was doing it, um, I would sometimes use like real world, world scenarios that had happened. And like I tried to do ham-fisted social commentary sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, usually not very well. Like, I think, uh, unfortunately, because I was pretty immature when I was doing some of this, I would, like, often use, like, sex trafficking as, like, something, like, especially to add a moral element to it, you're saving people from sex trafficking or whatever, which uh, is, I, I think I would handle it more, in a more uh, nuanced way as a 42-year-old than I did when I was a 22-year-old. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I would use, I, I, I'd likely have a more... If I was trying to do social commentary in a game I was playing now, I would probably be better at it. Or I just wouldn't do it because it's just a fun game between me and my friends rather than trying to tell a deep and engaging story, which is harder when you don't have control over everything. <laughs> but you're the GM. Yeah, well, you do have control every, over everything. Like, you can literally, like, I could arbitrarily kill a character, uh, kill a player's character if I wanted to. But people won't play with me if I do that. <laughs> so if, if you're being a GM and you're being a dick about it, People won't want to play with you. So you got to stay a neutral party. To a certain extent, yeah. Like, you can't uh, can't try to enforce too much of your own... Um, agenda? Agenda on it, necessarily. And I'm, I'm not even talking about politics, necessarily. Just uh, you have to let the players be able to feel like they're free to do what they want to do to a certain extent. And I can't just force upon them what I want them to do. As, even based on, like, morality. Like, a lot of the time... The players would just, because they like fucking around, would do something horribly immoral. <laughs> oh. So I, then when that happens, how do you manage your emotion? Well, uh, especially at the time, I just kind of laughed it off. because it was, And in situations that are so divorced from reality, like uh, the abstract playing of a game where we're all just kind of picturing what's going on, 
you know, just, you know, killing someone horribly uh, in this context, uh, it can even seem so absurd it's funny. This wouldn't happen in the real world, uh, or if this did happen in the real wor world, we'd all collectively agree it was horrible, but if, because it occurs in the context of something that's trying to be cinematic, uh, it can be funny or even, uh, or even just interesting. Because like, there's like ultra-violent movies like, um, well, even like John Wick, but that's a little bit more serious. But there are like action movies that are just over-the-top violent and horrible, but they're fun to watch because they are over-the-top and ridiculous. Yeah, and you know what you're getting when you're going to this type of movie. Yeah, and sometimes the games would be like where there'd be ultra-violence, where you're just like being horrible, killing everyone. It's, it's a power fantasy. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I can do whatever I want. Like, I'm... Yeah, like I'm sitting here and I'm like a fat middle-aged man and you know if I play a role-playing game I can be you know a powerful warrior from wherever and I can you know, enforce my will upon the masses or whatever that it, it's a power fantasy letting someone who couldn't possibly do these things either because you know it's just not within them in one way or another or it's fantastical you get to experiment a lot with different roles yeah yeah and you know and again bring it back to like movies and comic books and shit it uh allows you to do the things you see in there and see the powerful things that you know you know superheroes can do or whatever uh it lets you see those things and do them and again in a very abstract way because you're not literally doing them but uh it you gives can really you imagine it and kind of get immersed with because you have five other humans there yeah and they all they're all living this collective fantasy together yeah and the gm's job is to manage that collective fantasy to one degree or another uh because if it doesn't have boundaries and if it doesn't have some direction it's not fun anymore because um so you actually need some boundaries yeah, there's, for it to be fun. There's always like some boundaries, and those boundaries could exist simply as uh, a, G a GM saying, uh, "No, you can't do that because it's physically impossible within the world or within the way the world we define it," or uh, "You can't do that because the character, as you've defined to me, like if you've created a character that is extremely moral in their backstory, you can't just randomly kill someone because you're irritated with them because your character wouldn't do that." Oh, it has yeah. to actually compute properly yeah like and again it depends on like how loose you're playing things and like a player could also argue that yes my character you know it's bad their bad story is this extremely moral person but because of like the things i've seen while we've been playing it's changed my character like that could be a reasonable argument to make, make and then you know okay okay we'll do that but we'll try and stay consistent with your character so you need a reason for them to actually go against their supposed moral code yeah and uh, like within D and D, they have uh, oh wow, I can't actually remember what they're called, but uh, they're basically different like moral areas that you exist in. Like you have something that's like chaotic good is like that's your moral compass, and that a chaotic good character would be someone like Han Solo, where they're trying to do the right thing, but they're also you know uh, also like they break the law and they kill people sometimes, but they're trying to do the right thing to one degree or another. Or you have one that's called, uh, oh, wow, I'm not, I should have, like, researched this shit before I came. No way. <laughs> but you have, like, the uh, fully good character, which I cannot remember what it's called sitting here, which is, like, someone who is upright and moral and 
uh, always does the right thing, always does the thing within the bounds of the law as well. Lawful good, that's what it's called. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Hold it out. Yeah, and they can always, and they always try and follow the strict, rigid code. And the, often the characters that are applied with that in D&D are called paladins, and they're usually like follow a specific god. They're, you know, devout and follow the commandments as they're supposed to do, and they're always trying to do the right thing. And they don't stray from that path. And they don't stray from that path because they're defined as lawful good. D&D has a far more rigid moral system in the sense that, you know, if your character pits lawful good as your thing, that's your thing. And you can have events in the game that will shift that, but it gives, like, the character a specific code in which to follow. And you can even have characters, you know, who are on the evil spectrum because there's, like, lawful good, uh, chaotic good, neutral good, neutral evil, lawful evil, and chaotic evil. And something like neutral evil is someone who's basically just selfish. <laughs> oh, what was that one? Neutral evil. Neutral evil is, is someone selfish. selfish, always working towards their own benefit, which, you know, would allow them to play with, like, characters who are on the good spectrum because they're useful and they're just selfish. They're not actively trying to hurt other people. They're just kind of dicks and usually working to their own ends. Trying to just improve their situation. Yeah, and they can technically work within a structure with, you know, good characters to one degree or another. But then there's lawful evil. Lawful evil. That would be a, an example of that would be, like, an evil politician. They work within the bounds of the law, but they're assholes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then would you have a criminal who's lawful? Uh, no, if you're specifically breaking crimes, you couldn't be lawful evil. You'd be something like neutral evil because they're selfish and they're doing bad things to that selfish end. Okay, but if you're an evil person, could you still have a moral code? Uh, yeah, you can, like, as an evil person, uh, within that context, you could have an evil person who has a moral code, but that moral code is evil. <laughs> oh, but you'd never have an evil person with a moral code that could be good. Not really, no. Like, you could... Uh, or. Uh, if they're going to follow that code, then no. They could say they have a moral code that is good, but they actually only do evil things. They wouldn't be able to follow that good code. Because it contradicts it by doing the criminal activity? Yeah. Well, uh, an example of something like that could probably be like uh, uh, like a pastor in a church who has this strict defined uh, moral code that they're supposed to follow, but they're actually corrupt and just enriching themselves. That would be like, could be like a neutral evil character or even a lawful evil character. Because he's doing evil things within the constraints. Or even like outside. It, it's, that's more of a perception thing where like their perce the, what they're projecting to the world is that I'm a good, godly Christian man who only follows this specific moral code, but they actually follow a far, a far less pleasant one. So that's the facade they're projecting. Yeah, that would be a facade they're projecting. Like I'm actually like a lawful good person, but... Uh, they're trying well they say to the world i'm a lawful good person but what they are actually doing who they are at their core is in fact like lawful evil do they have to define that before the game starts yes like the the G especially like the gm dm has to know that this is what your character is so that they can plan stories and scenarios and interactions that jive with that yeah because then you can actually see their response because they have to follow that code yeah so then before you even start developing your character, you decide, where is this moral compass? Uh, well, it's just part of the development of the character. Like the, when you're first building the character, like one of the steps that you go through is deciding, at least within D&D. How strict is that on the character? Uh, it really depends on the setting. Well, it depends on like 
the game, the, the party, uh, party of players, and the DM how strictly you'll hold someone to that decision. But they can change it along the way? Yeah, within the context of the story, you can shift the character depending on things that happen to them. Like if you have like a neutral evil character going through the story and then they have uh, a, a moral quandary where like they can continue in their neutral evil ways, but it will kill an innocent person. And they realize that, oh, this is not something I actually want to do. Like, I, like I'll steal from people, I'll uh, scam people, I'll uh, you know, ignore other people's problems. But if I continue down this selfish path, I see where I'm going to like, cause someone to die. And like, that's not what I want to do, so it could skew them towards something else. Like something in the like neutral good or chaotic good or whatever. So these characters can actually change over time. Yeah, they can. And that's part of character development. And again, it depends on what the party wants. Sometimes they don't really give a shit. <laughs> they don't <laughs> they give do. a shit about character <laughs> development. They just want to stab orcs or they just just <laughs> want to shoot stuff guards. Up, blow stuff up. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's just what the what the players want to do. And that can be fun too. Sometimes it's fun to have an involved story where you're like all like play acting at different characters and, you know, people are doing voices and, you know, speaking in character and stuff like that. But sometimes it's just like, I want to talk to this person. I'm, uh, my character's charismatic, so I'm going to roll a dice. I convince this person to do a thing. Okay. And, uh, and it depends on the player too. Some players simply don't have the, uh, interest or ability to pretend to be a character like that. Not every person who plays wants to be an actor. I gotcha. What's your ideal group of people? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, uh, an ideal group of people really is a group of people that mesh well together. Like my experience as a, a DM is largely as, uh, like I said before, flexible. I roll with things. Uh, so I'm not necessarily going to be the DM of choice for a group that wants a rigid story. So you want them to know what they're in for when they come yeah, to your game. When you when you start a campaign or a scenario, you want to uh, have everyone kind of agree what you're doing to one degree or another. Like even if the agreement is uh, we're going to like form a, a group and we're just going to go off and do missions, then that's like everyone knows what's what's up to one degree or another. Or if, you know, at the beginning, everyone's like, oh, we want a cool story to follow. Then, okay, that's what we're going to do. And everyone's kind of like on board for that. So you're less likely, if everyone's on board to begin with, you're less likely to have players, uh, one, conflicting with each other about what you're doing and have uh, players who just fuck off. <laughs> oh, right. Because everybody agreed on this and yeah. we all made the plan together. Yeah, we all made this plan together to one degree or another. Like, we want to do a story where we... Uh, fighting a war or whatever uh, and we all want to do that so we're all on board so you don't have a character or player who like is in this thing and then decides like no I want to go be a florist and <laughs> and everyone has to fucking come with me while I go be a florist or I go be a florist assassin which is just not like within the uh, confines of what we agreed to do <laughs> so as long as the team works together and they have a shared goal, mm -hmm. it's going to go well. Generally speaking, yeah. And and that like makes everything more fun. Because if there's a lot of interpersonal conflict or people aren't fully on board with what's going on, it's just boring. Or it can even get contentious. Like you can have arguments between people that, you know, people will leave the group. Uh, and you'll have like, like through my time where we were doing it super regular, we'd have people who just got busy with life and would 
you know, fall out. And then we'd have some new people who would come in for a little while who were interested, some who had never played D and D or whatever before. And we were like introducing them to it and they play with us for a little while, but there was still that core group that was almost always there. That's kind of nice and consistent though. How much do you stay in contact with the core group? Uh, not really that much anymore. Uh, like we all kind of, uh, went on our various different lives. People graduated university, people got married, people had kids and moved on in their lives. People moved to other places. Like one of the guys I played with heavily in high school moved to the United States to go to university. And we still like, we even figure out ways of like doing it online where they would like Skype in or whatever. So you kind of hit it at the sweet spot when you're in your twenties and early thirties. Yeah. Like, especially like, you know, teenager and in the, in my twenties. And I even had a kid when I was 21. Uh, So like I still was doing that being a parent and, you know, dealing with being a relatively young parent who was not like ready for it and still being a GM. And part of the reason I think I did that was it was something grounded, something regular and fun that I knew I could count on to one degree or another while there was a certain amount of chaos in my life otherwise. So that was your rock. Yeah. Like that group was my rock to a certain degree. And I had a friend, like one of my oldest friends, we're we're still keep in touch to a certain degree, but he lives in Edmonton. Uh, who was like the organizer. He would like always be like, he would even do spreadsheets of people's schedules and shit like that. So he would uh, be the organizer. I was never very good at doing that. So he would do that. But eventually he moved away because, you know, life. And immediately it just became harder to keep the group together because he kind of stuck us all together just because he was motivated enough to do all of the work. He was the glue. Yeah. Yeah, you were the facilitator for the story, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, like I wasn't even like the person who knew the rules best in the group. There were several other people who usually knew the rules way better than I did. But you could tell a good story, mm-hmm. and you could manage the emotions of the table relatively. Yeah, and I was also just willing to do it because it is like a certain amount of one just raw planning and a certain amount of emotional labor as well. Because you know, again, you're like managing people and you're keeping track of a story and. Uh, it can be a little bit draining over time. And when we were younger, sometimes we'd do sessions that, you know, started at 7 and people were going home at 4. So you'd start at 7 p.m. And people were going home at 4 a.m. This so was you'd like nine-hour sessions. Yeah. This was like our version of, you know, drinking and staying up late and like stumbling at home hungover or whatever. Uh, but, you know, we didn't drink Mostly we just uh, ate chips and farted a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So what'd you do to recharge after those nine hour sessions? Oh, just not talk to anyone for a while. Uh, But also I was just younger. Like I could not possibly fucking do that anymore. Even just the the idea of staying up that late. Like now if like for whatever reason I stay up to like four in the morning, I'm ruined for days. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're in your 40s. Yeah, yeah. duh. But when when I was 20, it'd be like, okay, let's just get on with my life now. I'll just go into work and do fine other than being a little tired. Yeah, that's what happens sometimes, eh? Yeah. How responsible did you feel for your players having a good time? Oh, very responsible because that's the whole point. The whole point of being there is to have fun. To a certain extent, that fun isn't necessarily ha-ha fun. Sometimes it's meeting a challenge and overcoming it. It can be very satisfying, and I see that as also part of the fun. If I don't accomplish that either by just like everybody having fun doing cool shit or them meeting a challenge and overcoming it, if those things don't happen, uh, at least over time, then what's the point? At so least for how me- do you 
keep that in check when you're managing the game? Uh, it's a, that's a very good question a lot of the time. I, again, I just kind of roll with what's going on and I try and pull from, uh, like if I'm trying to tell a story and, uh, and some of it comes from the players themselves. Like if they come up with a cool idea of what to do, that can be really interesting and I just facilitate that cool thing that everyone has fun with. Okay, then how do you manage your emotions when things don't go well? Uh, I imagine when I was 22, repression. Oh, so you just stuffed it down to <laughs> deal with it? I was just like, I'm very frustrated with this situation that it did not go as I planned. Uh, although usually, like, I was fine with things not going as I planned. Usually, I was just like, okay, I'm just switching. Maybe I'm briefly irritated, but let's just go. Uh, interpersonal conflicts bothered me way more than just... Uh, you know, the player's doing something weird. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I hate conflict in general. And, you know, trying to deal with uh, a couple of angry nerds who are arguing about rules or arguing about dice rolls or anything like that is just kind of irritating. It's frustrating, especially since it's all so low stakes. Yeah. It's just a game. Yeah. When you started till near the end of this GM thing, how much better did you handle conflict? Uh, I think I got a little bit better at it, but I think also part of that was just like the group had been together for so long that we all just kind of knew how to interact with each other and, and we knew how to roll with each other's stuff you to one degree or another. the way that they would receive it. Yeah, and, and if a player became a problem, they left because they, they didn't want to come and like have arguments for four hours or whatever. So the player would usually leave if there was one person who was just like in constant conflict. Which one would leave? Usually the player who was just like always in some kind of conflict. And a couple of occasions we had to ask people to leave because they were uh, always in some kind of conflict with the various players. They weren't really understanding what we were trying to do and they were just not fun to be around. So, so. they just, they were the little bit of poison in that team. Yeah. So like, uh, I think I can think of two different occasions where we were just like, can you please not come anymore? Because this isn't fun. And it's almost like a breakup. It's, it, especially if you've been playing with them for any length of time. Like you're seeing this person once a week uh, for months or even years. And it's just kind of reached this point where like, this isn't fun anymore when you're here. Uh, so like, I think we should part ways. It's, so it's like I said, it's almost like a breakup. I think it is a breakup. Yeah. Like I know there are people who date people who don't even see them that often. <laughs> yeah, for sure. On a consistent basis with a shared goal every week. Yeah, yeah. And you get fairly close to these people over time because you do have this common experience. And, and you know, it's not like we just sit down and talk just about the game. We talk about each other's lives to one degree or another. Uh, so, like, you get very close to them. Uh, and, you know, obviously there are people you get closer to than others and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a group of friends that you kind of count on to one degree or another. Yeah, because you were saying it's your rock. Yeah. Yeah, it's something you can come back to. It's something that's satisfying and fun, and it takes you out of your real life. <laughs> a little escape. Yeah. Like, but you're escaping with five other people. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes it, like, a fun thing to do. Um, like, yeah. I was talking about having a kid in my 20s. Like, that was pretty chaotic. Uh, I was struggling to find work. I was in a relationship I was not happy with. Uh, and I could always go and play with my friends every Saturday or Friday or whatever. <laughs> and be vulnerable with them. To a certain extent, yeah. Not, like, very vulnerable. Again, I was 20, and 
uh, a dude, so I didn't talk about all of my problems as much as I certainly should have at that point from what I was going through, and I've gotten better at that. But, you know, it was like this consistent thing I could go to. It was fun. I felt in control, especially when I was a GM. It was a certain amount of like, I control this situation, whereas like in the rest of my life, I have no control whatsoever. So it's like this area where I'm like, I can control what's going on here. People like me and look up to me, or maybe not look up to me, but uh, oh no, yeah. Jeff does look up to you. He's that you're the best GM. I, I appreciate that compliment from Jeff, uh, especially since he was the pl- one of my players who would randomly fuck things up. <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to think of like a person who randomly like just violently fucked things up, it was Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to live that world. He doesn't do that in the real life no no he, he he's a he's a great dude who uh who, who i'm really glad he's my friend but you know in games sometimes he would just randomly fuck things up <laughs> Definitely. all right man so is there anything i haven't asked you oh i don't know i think we're good all right man should we call it yeah